Heavenly Father, thank you uh, that you uh, give us your word, uh, especially during this time uh, of Christmas, uh, that we can be reminded powerfully through your word of the reason uh, behind uh, this celebration, uh, this joy, uh, this gift-giving, and the reason behind it is your son, Jesus, uh, the newborn king, the one who would uh, die for our sins and rise into new life and give us, those who trust in Jesus, that certain hope of life instead of death. Lord, I pray that you would give us eyes that are attentive to your word this morning. And Lord, help us to be rejoicing in your son as we head uh, our separate ways, uh, Christmas Eve, Christmas Day. Lord, may it all be about your son, Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, the 6th of May uh, 2023 uh, was a day of royal fever. Uh, while I was celebrating my 35th birthday uh, at home in Australia, in Australia time, uh, that's 7th of May over here, just a reminder, uh, it was overshadowed by an even bigger thing uh, called the royal coronation. Uh, king Charles III had uh, been crowned king and monarch of the British Empire. It was a very pompous ceremony. That was the first one uh, ever witnessed if you're under 70 years of age. And if you were watching the news and uh, on Facebook or anything, it was royal fever all around the world. Uh, there were 20 million viewers live in the UK. Uh, there was millions in Australia, people talking about certain parts of the ceremony, asking questions about the crown and other jewellery and traditional items, and even people wondering if Harry and Meghan would turn up after all. Uh, royal fever marking a new king in town, uh, King Charles III. And if you hadn't caught the royal tone of Matthew chapter 1 in the previous weeks, well, we come to chapter 2 this morning, and it's royal fever, because the passage is all about kings and royalty. Uh, we step in this chapter in the time when Jesus was born. It was about 3 or 4 B.C., and we step into Israel being ruled by a puppet king, a king installed by the Roman Empire, Herod the Great. Uh, he wasn't a Jew. Uh, he wasn't a royal bloodline king. He wasn't a king of his own power. He did what Rome wanted him to, a middleman between the people and Rome. And he was titled King of Judea or King of the Jews. Uh, verse 1, it pins the birth of Jesus into real time, space, history around that time. And this passage pits King Herod against a new king a newborn king in Jesus, another king of the Jews, a promised king from God, a king with royal heritage and a royal bloodline, and this royal fever, this setting up of two kings of the Jews. And it takes place in a famous story of wise men searching to find a king. Well, this is another passage we've heard hundreds of times in carols, we've seen in nativity scenes, we've preached on plenty. And we spend a lot of time in this passage debunking myths like, were there really three wise men? 
Uh, were they three kings, like the song says? How do we make sense of this random star that keeps moving and stopping? Uh, was this really happening at the stable where the manger was when Jesus was born? Or was Jesus about two, three years old uh, later on when this happens? But if we adopt last week's mindset, uh, bringing fresh eyes to a familiar passage, remember Matthew's gospel is first written for Jews. And Matthew, he's showing Jesus to be this promised one Israel's been waiting for, the Messiah, the promised one, the king, the true son of David. So before we get into the passage, I want to quickly uh, point out four Old Testament links to this morning's passage. I'm not going to speak into them deeply, but just to point them out uh, for your curiosity. And the first link is Bethlehem. We just sang a little town of Bethlehem. Bethlehem was a small town in the land of Judah, of a thousand people back in Jesus' time. But it was significant because it was the town where King David was born. And it was a place where the Old Testament foretold that this promised Messiah King from God would come from, as we see quoted later in today's passage. The second Old Testament link uh, relates to this idea of foreign dignitaries visiting a son of David. Uh, for those who know the story, uh, Solomon's fame and the Queen of Sheba, a foreign dignitary, a Gentile, visiting Solomon, God's king, the son of David, and giving this king gifts, gold and spices from 1 Kings 10. And here we see, in today's passage, we have foreign dignitaries, wise men, Gentiles, visiting a son of David and Jesus and giving him gifts, gold and spices. You see, the Bible's showing us that a new king, something greater than Solomon, a greater son of David has come in Jesus. The third Old Testament link is about the star that the wise men followed. In Numbers chapter 24, there's this guy called Balaam, and he prophesizes a star and a scepter coming out of Israel. It's usually seen to point to David and his rule and his conquest. But in Matthew, we see Balaam's prophecy, a star and royalty, a scepter coming out of Israel. The fourth Old Testament link is Balaam himself. Uh, Balaam's in Numbers chapter 22 to 24. Uh, he's this Moabite Gentile guy. He's a diviner or a magi. He's from the east. He's called to work against God's people, but he ended up blessing God's people. And here we have these wise men. They were Gentiles. They were astrologers or magi. They were from the east. They were called by Herod to work against God's person. But here they end up blessing and worshipping God's person. There's undoubtedly more links to the Old Testament here in this passage, but there are just some here to spark your curiosity this morning. But as we begin to look at today's passage, the first point we find in today's passage is that there's two kings in town. 
As many of you know, uh, we've had George, our dog, for about 20 months now. Uh, he's what me and Angela call King George. Uh, he demands our time and attention. Uh, but Angela, she gives in all the time. She'll say, I'm tired, but I feel guilty, so I'll take you out for a walk. Fine, I'm tired, but I'll cook you fresh chicken or give you scrambled eggs instead of the dog food that you won't eat. It's 9pm, I'm pregnant, but I'll go out to the backyard and play with you uh, with the ball. This is actually a photo of George this morning after he wouldn't eat his breakfast and Angela went up to mash the breakfast for him. But in three months' time, George... He's in for a rude shock because when baby bub comes, there's going to be two kings in town. King George and our little bub, the coming king who'll demand our time and attention. Well, this is actually what Matthew wants to get across in the first few verses. There's two kings in town. Have a look at verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. See, Jesus is born, and he's born during Herod's kingship. Uh, remember Herod from before, he's the king of the Jews. And these wise men, they've traveled more than a thousand kilometers. They get to Jerusalem, the place where Herod, the king, lives and where he rules from. And these wise men, they start asking around the town, where's this newborn king of the Jews? Where's this newborn king? We want to find him and worship him. Imagine if you're Herod. It'd be pretty unsettling. He's the king, but apparently there's another king around. And that's exactly what we see in verse 3. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, distressed, and all Jerusalem with him. He was troubled. He was fearful, threatened, this potential rival king, the story about it being around. And we're not sure why, but it says all of Jerusalem was troubled too. You'd think they'd be glad to hear about a new king of the Jews. But it's possible that the Jews around that time, they were so sick of upheaval and they just wanted stability. Or Matthew's got this piece of evidence from Herod's perspective, exaggerating the reality. But we see here two kings in town, two kings of the Jews in play, Herod, the public king of Rome, and Jesus, the newborn king, ticking all the boxes about God's promises so far. And I think Christmas is a reminder for us too, that despite whoever is ruling and reigning in our world today, whether it be world leaders, bosses, home loans, whoever and whatever, there's a new king in town, and his name is Jesus. Well, as we keep going, Herod's troubled about this rival king in play. But Herod, uh, being a Gentile, uh, he's got no idea about Scripture. He's got no idea about God's promises to Israel. So he gets his think tank advisors to help him. 
verse 4, and Herod assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. See, Herod, he reaches out to the higher-ups of the Jewish leadership, chief priests, scribes. Those are the religious leaders of the time, leaders that actually Herod didn't get along well with, which shows how desperate he is to find out more. And we see their reply in verse 5. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. You see, these Jewish religious leaders, they knew their Old Testaments well. They could recite God's promises to Israel off by heart. And they answered this question of where God's promised king was to be born. They quote Micah chapter 5 verse 2, the Messiah, the promised ruler of Israel from God will be born in Bethlehem in Judah. But look between the lines here. You'd think that these religious leaders, hearing about these wise men stirring up a fuss, asking where, being asked where the newborn king is, and knowing the scriptures saying that he'll be born in Bethlehem, you think that these religious leaders, they'd be curious, excited, even to the point of jumping on their horses and heading to Bethlehem to see for themselves. But the passage implies that they do nothing. They don't care. They answer the question and they disappear from the story. It's just as John writes in his gospel in chapter 1, he came unto his own and his own received him not. But Herod, he acts on this new piece of information. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word, that I too may come and worship him. Herod, he does some secret maneuvering, not wanting to attract attention to him being threatened. So he uses these wise men to confirm these claims of a newborn king. And he's devious about his plan, since we know, if you read further... Herod ends up trying to kill baby Jesus in the next passage. And the wise men act on this new information in verse 9. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. You see, they'd exerted a ton of effort already. Gentiles, probably from the Arab area in the east, traveling a thousand kilometers on this miraculous journey, following a star from the east to Jerusalem. And now the star, it moves, it led them from Jerusalem, 10 kilometers south, to this little town of Bethlehem. There's lots of views about the star. Was it a comet? Was it a planetary conjunction? I don't even know what that means. Uh, was it a supernova? Uh, whatever it was, don't get caught in the details. God is behind it, and God is a supernatural God. And the star it moves, and it stopped miraculously 
over the house where Jesus was. And this final section of today's passage shows us how these wise men respond to the newborn King Jesus. And here I think we find four responses here. And the first is joy. The star stops, they see the house, and Matthew highlights joy in verse 10. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. You see, not only did they rejoice, Matthew says, they rejoiced exceedingly, and not just with joy, but great joy. They were jumping out of their socks, celebrating. They had found the promised newborn king. Second response we see here is worship. And going to the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. These wise men, they prostrated themselves on their knees, head to the ground, the way you'd respond to Herod, to Caesar, to Charles III, if you were in medieval times. But here, these wise men, they didn't, they didn't prostrate themselves to Herod. They prostrate and worship a baby, a toddler, not just any baby, but this newborn promised king of Israel who's come. They bow down. It's a sign of worship. The object you're bound down to is of great worth. It's a sign of submission, a sign of reverence and fear and allegiance. They respond in worship. And the third response is that they offer gifts. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. It reads as if they opened their own private treasure chests, their bank accounts, their safes and deposit boxes, and they offered the best to this newborn king. They followed through on their bowing down with the gifts they gave. Gold, a royal gift, a gift of ultimate value both then and even now today. Frankincense, an exotic spice that was not in the budget for any ordinary families. It was an expensive perfume. It was used in temple worship, but also used in social occasions. And myrrh is another exotic spice used as a fragrance. If you think frankincense was expensive, Myrrh was eight times more expensive than frankincense. And myrrh was also used in burial embalming processes for the dead. Note all of these luxurious, wealthy, royal gifts fit for a king. And although these wise men didn't realize all of these gifts matched the life and person of Jesus, a royal life and a royal death, already alluding to the mission of Jesus, dying on the cross for our sins in our place to make way for us to be right with God and today ruling and reigning as king on high. And the fourth and final response in today's passage is a rejection of the old king. Verse 12, 
and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. You see, this passage ends with these wise men disregarding and rejecting Herod. We began, remember, with two kings in town. And the passage ends with the wise men worshipping one and rejecting the other. Because two kings can't rule. Only one can. And for those who worship King Jesus, it's Jesus and no other. It's the newborn king and no other. There's no Herods, no Caesars. Nothing and no one but Jesus, the newborn king. What we've seen in today's passage, that a new king is in town. His name is Jesus. He's born into this world. He lived a perfect life as the God-man. He died a sinner's death on the cross in our place. He rose from death to new life. He ascended into heaven and sits on God's throne as king. And he offers life forever to those who bowed the knee to Jesus as king. So as we celebrate Christmas this year, how do you respond to the newborn king? How do you respond to the new king in town named Jesus? For some of you, it might have been like Herod. The idea of Jesus as king troubles and threatens you. It's resulted in a hard heart to Jesus. Well, if this is you, I pray that your heart would be softened to the message of Jesus this Christmas. You see, Jesus was really born into this world. A new king has come in Jesus. What does this mean for you? I think for many of you, for many of us, often we respond like the religious leaders. We know, we've heard, it's Christmas, Jesus was born, we've heard it again and again and again. We'll never admit it, but the family and the food take up more time and attention, and they ultimately give us more joy than Jesus. I think for most of us, there's a level of ignorance to the gospel message, a level of inoculation, a level of over-familiarity, and a lack of awe and wonder and joy. And I think most of us here are prone to this response in some way, shape, or form. I know I am. I sing carols, and the words often don't penetrate my heart. I listen to the gospel accounts, and they often don't leave me rejoicing. So let me encourage us all to look to the wise men. They knew that a new king had come. His name is Jesus, a king who would change history forever. And we know he did this, not by conquering Rome, but by conquering sin by dying on a Roman cross, taking the sins of the world on his shoulders, by defeating death, and rising into new life on the third day, and offering those who worship Jesus as the King a certain future of new life forever. 
And we see here the wise men responded in joy. How's your joy for King Jesus today? He came into this world to save you from your sins. Isn't that something to be joyful about? The wise men responded in worship. How's your worship to King Jesus today? Is he of greatest worth in your life? When you meet your family and your friends tonight, tomorrow, will it be obvious to them that you worship and bow the knee to King Jesus? The wise men responded in gifts, not just gifts, but the most valuable gifts. Are you giving your best, your all to King Jesus, your time, your possessions, your efforts, your attention? Or is Jesus getting the leftovers and the second best? Not just during Christmas, but day by day. What will that look like heading into 2024? The wise men responded in rejecting other kings rivaling King Jesus. How are you rejecting other idols in your life, sin in your life, other things, even if they're good things, but should never be in the place of king in your life? As we finish our time in God's word today, a new king is in town. His name is Jesus. He's a good and gracious king. He saves us from our sins. He restores a fallen world marred by sin and death. And he offers to restore our relationship with the creator, eternal and all-powerful God. Let us all respond to him today in joy, in worship, in sacrificial gifts, and in rejecting others who rival the kingship of Jesus in your life. Let me pray to this end. Father God, help us to look beyond the decorations and festivities this Christmas to celebrate the glad tidings of Christmas that a new king has come in Jesus, the long-awaited king who would save us from our sins, the long-awaited king who'd give us hope, new life instead of death, salvation instead of judgment. Father, help us to respond to your son, Jesus, in joy, in all of life worship, in sacrificial gifts fit for a king, and in rejecting all who rival the kingship of Jesus. Lord, as we have meals with family and friends over the coming days, may it be clear in our hearts and may it be visible to all we brush shoulders with that we are people of King Jesus the newborn king who died that we might live. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.